0: up all sorts of spicy conversations of the latest menu of science fiction movies and television shows you can find dining at the end of the universe at dining at dot com you can also find us on itunes we look forward to seeing you at anyway. it Welcome to Dining at the End of the Universe, a podcast where we, tonight, are talking about fan films. Star Trek fan films. Star Trek fan films. My name is Scott. And I am Miles P. McLaughlin. Hello. Yes. Not to be confused with the other Miles P. McLaughlin.
1: From the other universe.
0: Yes. From the parallel universe in Fringe. Yes. You know, because there's two of everything. It's more than one of everything.
1: Well, there could there. It's a multiverse, so
0: it's there's. They could be multiple copies of Miles running around. Oh, I'm sure there is. There and, is. and multiple copies of Scott too. Yeah. Now, um, I don't know if you want that.
1: No, I, I, I'm that, that. I hope that's just a theory and not a reality.
0: Isn't that the truth? Well, we certainly hope it's just a theory, anyways. Yes. What of me is enough to deal with. Mm-hmm. That is for sure. Well, tonight we have... We're excited tonight. We're excited what we're going to bring Oh, we tonight. had a great time. Yeah, uh, we're recording this part after the first part, which you're going to hear last. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we can understand that and not get too tongue-tied in the middle of it. Uh, we're talking about, as we, as Miles mentioned, not just any fan film. We're talking about actually probably a personal love of Miles, the Star Trek fan films. Right. And um, in particular, we're going to be talking about a few of those up front, but we're going to end with a really... Awesome, awesome interview with John Broughton, uh,
1: the founder uh, and uh, executive producer for Star Starship Parrot.
0: At, at bringing classic Trek now, yeah, and that's evidently their slogan as they they go by. it. Well, tonight it's going to be a little bit different. We aren't going to do. We, we we do have news that we would love to bring you. We're going to hold that off till next week, so hopefully it won't be too old by then. Uh, but due to time. We wanted to make this a Star Trek fan film episode, so we're ditching the news, we're ditching the trivia. We'll give you one more week to answer last week's trivia question, which was off of V. Do you remember? And and if you want to repeat it just for people. Sure. The question is, um,
1: now we know we're doing a new V, uh, but in the original V, I was asking it's a two-parter. What was the name of the actress who played the lead
0: uh, visitor, and what was her character name? Right, and if you know the answers to this, you can uh, email us at zogpod at gmail.com, or uh, you, can, you can find us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Twitter handle is Herzog, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G, and Miles is? Uh, son of Wharf. Right, and you can always call a listener line as well to leave that information, uh, 206-600-4824, and uh, make sure that you give us your name or a way that we can contact you if you do that.
1: Now, if they answer this question right, they win
0: something, correct? Right, they do. They do. Now, one of the things that they didn't clarify that if we get more than one right answer, we will be pulling uh, a name out of a hat, so to say. Mm-hmm. But uh, if, they, if, they, if they do get it correct, we will be giving away a copy of Daniel J. Bohannock's book, Parapsycho. If you want to find out a little bit more about that, you can listen to our last episode where we talk about that book. And um, and I give you a link in last episode's show notes that will actually take you to the site that talks about the book. Uh, and it's a pretty awesome book. We're really happy with it. And uh, I'm really happy with uh, promoting that book and just talking about it a little bit. But let's go in and let's just run in and okay. go right to talking about uh, Star – I want to say Star Wars. Star Trek fan film. Star Wars on the brain. Right, right. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. If I don't watch it, Miles is going to chuck me out of this room if I keep saying Star Wars. So tell me about Star Wars fan films. Well, Star Trek no, no, fan no, films. Just kidding. Yes. Just kidding. Go ahead.
1: Uh, on the internet, uh, many – it's been a great opportunity for people. Um, and with today's technology, with, with, with video cameras, they can make their own um, movies. Yeah.
0: And um, uh, Actually, let's back up. We did – a couple episodes ago, we did an episode devoted to the Star Wars fan films. And true. we decided then that we <laughs> wanted to do something that – obviously, to the Star Trek fan films that are out there. Mm -hmm. Something that I was actually fairly unaware of. But, Miles, how did you become aware of Star Trek fan films?
1: Uh, A few years ago, I saw in one of the Star Trek magazines, they actually did an article on uh, one I'll talk about very briefly, uh, Starship Exeter.
0: Space. Endless. Silent. Waiting. Waiting. This is the new odyssey of the starship Exeter. Her five-year mission, to guard the Federation frontier, to patrol uncharted space and scout alien worlds, to brave the darkness of the last vast unknown.
1: And they are a fan film company based out in Texas. They've put out um, one film, and they have a film that's almost partially completed, Um, But you can see them on their website, and uh, it's a different captain, different ship, different crew, but based on the original series. When you watch this, it'll look like, and and, and as I say this, it's not to be uh, belittling, it's actually something artistic about it. It looks like you're watching a spinoff of the original TV series. If Gene Roddenberry decided to make another Star Trek um, show, then this, this looked like this could have been it. So. Um, so, so were otherwise very well done. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was very well done. Um, but as far as the, um, when I say it looks, it, it really does look like the original as far as even the exterior shots. Um, and just the way it, it appears, uh, it, it looks like it's, it, you're watching something from back in the 60s. Uh, that, and I think that's their artistic choice is just to you know, honor how, how it was done back then. So they have one one film out. They ha- yeah, they have one film out. They have another film that's released in three parts. The fourth part, I don't believe, has been re- released yet, but you could see that online. And eventually
0: that will be one complete film yes. when they do that. Yes. Now, uh, tell me about the first film. What, it, what was it like? It was what, call- what, was it, what was the story about? It was called uh, the, um, uh,
1: the Savage Empire, and um, it involves Klingons. It involves Andorians. They go to the Andorian homeworld, and um, they beam down to meet uh, an Andorian leader, the crew gets kidnapped, um, but they escape. Um, they introduce the character of um, uh, of Chang, who is a character from the Star Trek movie Undiscovered Country. Um, but uh, so yeah, so, that, that, so, so their first project was called the um, the Savage Empire. Um, their new one, the, the one that they have, the, that's not quite in completion, is called the Tresorian Intersection. All right. And uh, you, you, if you Google Starship Exeter or just – if you go to uh, Wikipedia uh, and put Star Trek fan films, it will give you a good listing of what's out there and probably have links uh, set up for it.
0: Right. Now, I'll put a link in the show notes as well for the Exeter. Okay. All right. And, uh And uh, we already, we're already we going to be talking about the Farragut uh, films that, that we mentioned earlier right. a little bit later on with – with, uh, with John here in the interview mm-hmm. so let's not necessarily talk about his fan film but he will make reference to a lot of other fan films that we're going to mention here
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, what's our next one Miles
1: um, I will deal with what's called Star Trek of Gods and Men
2: It said if you move but one grain of sand you run the risk of altering history
1: This, uh, this uh, it, was, it was it was it was filmed in 2006, but didn't get uh, released till 0708. Just these things take sometimes take time with um, just funding and doing all the editing. But it's a it's a three part uh, unofficial Star Trek fan uh, mini series and it contains many cast members from uh, different um, um, different Star Trek series. Uh, many of them from the original series. Um, the actor who played John Harriman, uh, Bueller on Fer- Fer- Ferris Bueller's Day Off, he was in it. Um, they've had some a couple of co people from Star Trek Voyager. Actually, Tim Russ, the guy who plays Tuvok, he was the director of this, and um, Chase Masterson who played Lita, She plays a different character on this as well. Um, but it's a time travel um, story. Um, one one of the, the beings that Kirk had to deal with, he uses the 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 uh, Guardian Forever to basically um, kill Kirk and changes the timeline, and so it's the the the, the original um, uh, cast uh, has to deal with you know they, they find out that the timeline has been tampered with and um, it, the galaxy is a, is, a, is a darker place, and so they want to try to restore the timeline. Um, the characters that were in the original uh, series, uh, L- 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 Nichelle Nichols who played Uhura, Walter Koenig who played Chekhov. Um, and as I mentioned before, I don't remember the actor's name, but he played John Harriman from um, Star Trek Generations. Uh, they um, are becoming aware that the timeline has been messed with, and so um, they want to, you know, restore it. But uh, th- th- there's a lot of opposition to it. So, it's, well,
0: this is this sounds like an interesting fan film because not our independent fan film, as would like to call them, right? Uh, because you have original cast, right? And typically. Are normally, these fan films are not drawing on original cast. Uh, no. How does that? How does that make this film feel different than maybe some of these others that we are talking about, have talked about, and will talk about?
1: Well, it sort of gives it some legitimacy because these people were in the original Trek and, and some of the people did other Trek series. So, so you so recognize them. You, yes, the recognizability of them. Um, but another, another fan film, I'm just going to talk, talk briefly about them, Star Trek Phase 2.
2: what you hey.
1: they are another unique film where they've been able to pull from people who have been in the original uh, series as well Um, George Takei who played Sulu Walter Koenig um, um, just to name a few um, Grace Lee Whitney uh, Denise Crosby who's in Star Trek Next Generation and and many others Uh, um, they've been able to get people who are either in the original series
0: as a supporting character play a supporting character on their shows as well so um. now as phase two is that the one that bases their characters off of the original Star Trek? That is correct. Uh, so they, they have, have like Kirk, Spock, and all that. Uh,
1: ab- yes, absolutely. So, so. Um, their they're, they're, they're fan film studio is based up in upstate New York, uh, Ticonderoga. Um, and a lot of these – nice thing with these fan film groups is um, maybe independent fan, f- f- independent film groups is probably a better way because uh, fan film doesn't do it justice, which John Broughton will, will, will talk about more in our interview, but um, – a uh, lo- lot of them go to the conventions so n- nice thing is you can meet them at the conventions they'll often uh, maybe have a TV and, and, and show um, show parts of a fan film or show all of their fan film but you get a chance to talk to them and see what they're doing but the bottom line is that there's some there's some really good entertainment out there on the web and it's free and if you're a Star Trek fan Star Wars fan maybe some other genres out there uh, it's out on the internet and yeah. you, can, you can watch free you can download it um Maybe, it to a dvd if you like yeah
0: or we'll put on your ipod so it's yeah the accessibility of it too very very i mean it's it's been very cool the ones that i've seen and mm-hmm. i haven't watched near i watch more star wars because obviously that's been my one of my first loves and while i enjoy trek i haven't necessarily gone out and sought uh the star trek fan films like you have or mm-hmm. independent fan films if we're going to call them that yeah uh and uh but the ones I've seen have been very well done, um, and 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 I, and I have enjoyed them, mm-hmm. and I and I've enjoyed the especially the ones that have played uh, uh, homage to the uh, the original track and mm-hmm. the uh, and the the way the original style of that. Yeah. Now, are, there are fan films that do not stay within that universe. That, that go, is true. They go to like the next gen, and do we have any of these here? Yeah. Um,
1: well, here, here's one from Scotland. It's called. Um, uh, Starship Intrepid. We've been the crew out.
2: I can't establish a transport lock. Well, why not? It's an old ship. The hull's not ironized from reentry. entry
0: Keep trying. Tractors.
2: Lots at this range. Forty seconds to impact. Then get us closer. Kay. I can't give you transporters. I'm sorry. The locked torpedoes. Commander. If that transport hits the colony. Torpedoes now. Answer. Right, Torpedoes bolt. Stand
1: by, ensign. We're in tractor range, but I don't know if this'll work.
2: It'll work. Reel them in, Mr. Styles.
1: Engaging tractors.
0: force forces exceeded. We've lost the beam.
2: Re-establish.
0: I'm trying.
2: in warp power and redline the emitters.
0: Got it.
1: Re-establishing lock. You can't handle the momentum. Shading forces exceed it again.
2: Fifteen seconds. Fire torpedoes.
1: scotland um and uh, they they have about two episodes already out there and um the guy who played it uh he, he, the captain um uh, he's also he's also been seen doing other other fan films also but it takes place next gen their ship is looks it's intrepid class looks like voyager um another fan film takes place in the states um it's called uh star trek hidden frontier they've done a lot of episodes um on their site. And when I say episode, episodes, they may maybe sometimes 15, 20 minutes long. Uh, right. Sometimes they don't run a full hour, but, um, they've, they're not making, they've done two spin off episodes or two spinoff shows now called Star Trek Odyssey and Star Trek, the Leon Chronicles it takes place sometime after the events of Star Trek Nemesis, the movie. Okay. So they, they spin off their own episode.
0: Yeah. It's kind of interesting.
1: Right. They've grown so much now that they've decided to,
0: you know, and, um, go in two different directions as it was now now it takes a lot of effort as John's going to share to put out one of these uh, episodes how many do some of these people have out um well uh, phase two
1: they have I think they have like th- uh, three full ones out there released and they have um I'm sorry maybe four and then another one their fifth one they've released it in parts the first one's out the first part one's out part two should be released sometime this year um It takes a long time to make one because they don't have the funding that
0: um, Hollywood does. These
1: people are working regular jobs. They're they're, yeah they they have day jobs. um, They don't know and but they don't have basically they're doing everything on their own. They they have to buy the camera equipment. They have to make costumes or buy costumes something like that. And a lot of them do the you know they use a lot of CGI. So that's that's a nice thing with the advancement of computers. You could do you know some cgi on your own or you get some company out there who is um trying to make it in a business um but will do it for free or do it for a reduced cost just to get their name out there mm. and just just so they're they're doing something um but a lot of the cgi and a lot of these uh, independent films is actually pretty good it's it, it'll hold up just in anything
0: you would see on tv right 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 well are there any other notable fan films that we should be looking at or that people should be uh, checking out regarding uh, Star Trek? Well, one is is kind of a parody. It's called Star Wreck.
1: And, <laughs> and uh, it was... Fi- fi- it filmed the- sounds like Spaceballs or something. Exactly. Uh, it, it, it's it's sort of a next-gen Babylon 5 parody. Um, and um, it, it um, they do speak in Finnish, but they do have English subtitles. Uh, I saw it. it. It's actually pretty funny. But at the same time, it's also... Um, they have real space battles, and so the, the effects look very good. It's just the dialogue is, you know, um, it's meant to be humorous, meant to poke, sort of poke fun a little at, at Star Trek and at Babylon 5 a little. In order to
0: do it, they obviously have to be students of Star Trek in order to really right. understand that and what to make fun of.
1: So right, and they're not insulting. It's just, you know, it's just a parody. It's just to have a little fun. Oh, uh, come
0: on. You have to laugh at ourselves. Absolutely. You laugh have laugh at the things you love. So. Right,
1: right, right. So, uh, and that was made in Finland. You could find it online,
0: and it was... Uh, uh, I thought I thought they did a pretty good job on it. Where, that, that's that's really awesome, Miles. Um, all right, well, we're going to uh, shift out of talking about some of these individual fan films, and in a little bit, and, uh, and after a short break, we're just going to jump into an interview that we did with. You want to introduce him, John Broughton, uh,
1: the founder and executive producer for uh, Starship Farragut.
0: Yeah, we had a very very good interview. It's about forty five minutes long. We just mm-hmm. had a really good interview, hearing him talk about what got him into fan films, uh, what he gets out of making a fan film, right. which is a very broad question. We even get his opinion on the latest incarnation of Star Trek. Right, right. And uh, so it's been a, uh, it was a really, really good interview. Anything stand out about the interview that we did with uh, with him that you want to just kind of highlight and what people can look forward to?
1: Um, it didn't surprise me. I, I've had a chance to meet him a couple of times at the conventions. He was always very accessible. He, by the way, he's
0: going to be at Shore Leave. Yes. He's uh that's kind of cool. We're going to be able to meet him down there.
1: Yeah, he he, he and his crew will be there for uh, shore leave. Um, but um, things that really stood out, um, uh, well, just that it, he he has, a, you know, fortunately he has some very good friends that it's not just, I mean, he, he expressed it's not the, you know, you'll he'll hear him say this, it's not the John Broughton show. He has people there that are just as passionate about it as he is and um, that help make it possible. I mean, he has, um, he's a captain, but... Other people are, you know, in there writing scripts and making costumes. Uh, It's not just him. It's, you know, it's a a very strong collective team effort
0: uh, to do this. It's a collective. Yes. It's the Borg. The Borg are helping out. Yeah, the Borg are helping out. But Mm -hmm. it's it's really cool. We had a really good interview. And so I guess without any further talking, let's go ahead and give them the interview. I think this is where we're going to close out the show. Yeah. Uh, Well, we'll we'll do the the interview, and then we'll just end with some beautiful Farragut music or something like that. And, um, And uh, it should be good. And we'll see you next week. Don't forget to call in on the trivia question if you know the answer to it or to let us know the answer. And uh, if you have anything you want us to talk about in future shows, let us know. But we're going to give you the Starship variant. So for now, good night and good luck. And uh, we'll see you next week. Enjoy this interview.
2: Captain's Log, Stardate 4847.3. The Farragut has been ordered to the Akasa system on a mission that exemplifies the best nature of our Federation. The only inhabited world is an icy moon orbiting the gas giant Solon. The Solonai, an ancient race of scholars and historians, have kept themselves at a distance from galactic politics and alliances for centuries. Now, for the first time, they have invited the Federation to meet with them. This is my first diplomatic mission as commander of the Farragut, and reports indicate the Sol and I are friendly. Let's hope the reports are correct. Full stop, Captain. Thank you, Mister Baker. We
1: are with uh, John Broughton, fr- uh, founder and executive producer for Farragut Films, and also portraying the role of uh, Captain John Thomas Carter. Uh, my first experience with Stargate—I mean, Star- Starship Farragut—was seeing you and your crew at uh, four point oh six. It was my first convention in almost uh, 10 years. I had heard of the Star Trek Phase Two forums, that uh, James Cawley was going to be there. However, he was ill and couldn't make it. I did, however, uh, have the pleasure of meeting uh, John Broughton and his crew from uh, Starship Starship uh, Farragut. You guys were able to have a room and share it with the folks about your first project. I remember uh, you had a teaser video showing. And at your booth, you had some uh, hand props you guys who made phasers, communicators, uh, tricorders. I must say, they were very authentic looking and... Uh, I really admired the, uh, also the uh, the original series phase Pistol that uh, – phase Rifle, I'm sorry, that um, uh, uh, Paul uh, Sieber had uh, uh, built and designed after fashion from the, uh, the original series uh, Phaser Pistol. Uh, the year after, I had the pleasure of seeing the premiere episode, The Captaincy, at uh, 4.07 with a large group of fans. Even though I was just a fan, uh, I felt a proud moment uh, with you in getting your first film off the ground. The next year, I went to Far, Farpoint, and Paul Sieber was gracious enough to give me a DVD of, uh, for One of a Nail, which I enjoyed very much. And uh, – Thought it was just good Star Trek. Uh, so, John, I hope uh, I didn't give too much away, but uh, tell us about yourself and your film company, Farragut Films.
2: Um, Farragut Films is a non-profit um, film company that, um, because of the licensing and copyright issues of Star Trek, we can't profit off these films. So, um, And coming up with this idea about five years ago to, or maybe it's actually six years ago to start this venture. Uh, found out that in order to do it effectively, I had to create a a nonprofit. So that was the um, the the origination of Farragut Films. As as president, I manage and oversee the group, the group of all the talented people. Um, those being Mark Hildebrand, Mike Bednar, Holly Bednar, um, working with Michael Struck of NeoFX. A, and there's many other um, talented individuals that work with us, um, but manage the the company that works to put on Starship Variegate.
0: Great. Okay. Now, as a nonprofit, does that mean that you can't earn any money at all, or everything has to come through donation to
2: cover costs? Well, that's that's been the rule of thumb. It's been the rule of thumb. There's nothing. There's never been anything written uh, from Paramount Films, but the, the rule of thumb and talking with people and. And those people as well. Is that as long as we don't profit any off any of our films, um, they've they've kind of waived the copyright infringement and the intellectual property. But I think that one of the things that we've done to differentiate ourselves much more than some of the other film series out there is that a lot of things, although it is based on classic Star Trek, the foundation of Trek, a lot of what we're doing is is original. Um, uh, we we don't have the Enterprise patch. It's not the Enterprise. It's the Farragut. Um, it's not Kirk. It's it's Carter. And and the music is is, is not anything that was originally conceived by Alexander Curra, um, Courage or um, um, or Goldsmith. It's by Heteron. Uh, so it's a lot of original things. It's the foundation of Trek and the concepts of what Gene Roddenberry created. And basically were playing in his backyard and so because of that i mean there's we i think we've done a few things to, to differentiate ourselves even from the original series so um, in terms of the copyright we've tried to stay it clear but it's still tr- it's trek but it's not if you follow me
0: right 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 now the name farragut films where did uh, where did that originate
2: well we were making starship farragut and, and trying to come up with a name um, it was just um, taking variegate and just variegate films. Okay. And, yeah, uh-huh. it wasn't too much more than that.
0: All right. Good.
1: Uh, you could have done your film, you know, your films in any timeline uh, in-, in in the Star Trek mythos, but you chose uh, the original series. Why was that?
2: Well, I'm I'm a big classic Trek fan. I always have, um, you know, even when Next Generation came up, and I, I grew up. Uh, with next generation. I was about the same age as Will Wheaton. I think he is exactly almost to the day, about six months older than me. And uh, so in, and I think when I was a freshman in um, high school seeing him grow up, but I never really, I mean, I appreciated the next generation series, but always loved classic trek. And I grew up with it as a kid, um, even having converting our basement into a bridge. Uh, making a, taking a wagon and making it in a shuttlecraft and, and using laser tag guns for phasers and walkie talkies for communicators. Classic Trek was what I grew up in just from syndication. I just loved that show and to me there was nothing that had that magic, that chemistry and it was always Classic Trek. So if I was going to do this, it would have to be that. And, and coupled with the fact that I had all the costumes. I had all the Trek costumes. I had props. I had all the props to do this. And I think it was part of the extension of both taking what computer technology and the Internet as a distribution point and, and seeing what people were doing, making their their own fan films, whether it be from the Terminator or Batman or, or um, not Terminator, Alien, um, and, and, and Star Trek and Star Wars. And, and it's like you can make a very good quality film without the Hollywood budget. But I think also the extension of having a, a collection of of props and costumes and it's like, you know, what do you do with all this stuff? It's on a you know, in display cases. The next step is to use it in a film. So um, that's that's kind of where it went. Um, and I pulled in my family and best friends to help kick off the project. Um, so it was always TOS. It was never a question that would be next gen. And I think the fact that it is TOS, it, it, it gives us it some advantages because the set, sets are pretty straightforward as well as the costumes. They're not as elaborate like next generation. The costumes get a little bit more elaborate. Sets get more elaborate and more detailed. Um, where classic trick things a little bit more simplified.
1: Cool. Well, what I liked about you know seeing some of the things you've done, some of the things that Phase 2 has done in XR there's still, it showed there's still a lot of life left in the original series. There's still plenty of things to explore, many stories yet that uh, to, to tell. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad you chose that direction because I've seen I've seen what you've done with it, and um, you, you know, I, I, I've liked what I've seen so far from you guys.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah. Now, did you have a defining moment or something that said, you know what? I want to make a fan film. I mean, what was the thing that kind of drew you to that place? I mean, I know you were into Trek as a kid and all that,
2: and you. Yeah, kind of well, I would have to. I would have to admit, I was most inspired by seeing Starship Exeter. Um, the concept of that, where to me it was just it was, uh, and I guess that they are revealed, revered as the grandfather of Star Trek fan films. Mm-hmm. When I saw Exeter, no doubt, I was inspired. The concept of a different captain, different ship. I was like, "Wow!" And I just started to think about that for myself, and it just seemed so, so kind of like like straightforward. I was like, you know, I had an epiphany when I saw those stuff. I'm like, "Oh my god!" Because up until this point, everything was based that I had seen was always based on Kirk, Spock, and McCoy of the Enterprise, and you know, other people were kind of doing that. And when you see that, you can't help but think. It's a parody, because only, in my opinion, only William Shatner can play Kirk and, and right. Leonard Nimoy, Doc, et cetera, and to see other people try to play it, it comes off as very parody. But if you take the concept of a different ship, different crew, and different adventures, you can put those people, different characters, and there's instant buy-in, because you don't have anything to compare them to. You've never seen this captain. You've never seen this first officer. Right. You've never seen this engineer. So you can't say that that's not that person or that's not them because you don't have any basis of comparison. So it seemed um, to me that whole premise uh, was my inspiration point, I'd have to say. No,
0: that's awesome. I I figured it had to be one somewhere in there. And I, I can see what you're
1: saying. With, um, I mean, I love what the folks at Phase 2 have done, but I, reading some of the things on their forums, it's just some of the opposition they got just, you know, why 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 are you even touch the original series it's something sacred um you know so um it's it seems to have gotten more acceptance down but what, i mean what you you've done is take you know different different captain different ship different crew and really make it your own
2: mhm and it's great because and and one of the things I've really tried to do with the Carter character is make sure that he isn't Carter i mean in some of the episodes i wanted to show that there's difference i mean he um for example, I mean, one, he grows, he has facial hair, his hairstyle is much different. But even in the fighting, and and a rock in a hard place, it was a, I mean, Carter can fight, um, but he fights differently. And then at the end, it was by luck. I mean, he's saved by, uh, you know, the doctor. And I, I wanted to show you kind of different things. I don't think they would have done that in the original series, uh, where the final moment. Well, they might have done. I mean, Spock would have certainly would have saved him. So I guess. I shouldn't say that, but there's certain things that when nuance nuances wanted to show differently and just passing through we have um, which we showed in, in public settings we haven't we don't have it available for public download, but we show Carter coming into a bar and he's kissing the cheek by this Orion officer I and mean, then she walks away and she's kind of it's implied that he's dissed. and that's something that Kirk would have it probably wouldn't have showed on the series, although they kind of did that in the movie. Uh, with O'Hur and him at the bar him kind of getting this but we wanted to show some di- th- things differently and i'm trying to be very mindful that i don't want anything i don't want anyone to show that he's playing kirk um, in some of the scenes that in exeter captain garrevic there was some fighting moves and stuff are very much kirk like and i think even in the captaincy there was a few kind of kirk kind of moves but Again, trying to show some differences that he is, and, and maybe they would have gotten the same kind of training in Starfleet Academy. So, but really trying to differentiate these characters. Um, Smithfield is very much, she's kind of got a little bit of McCoy sarcasm, um, and wit, but she's very much different than, than Scotty. I mean, this is, um, um, she isn't afraid to say this is her ship, ship as she reveres it, but, and she's not afraid to speak her mind. Um, and Tackett, the very much MacGyver-like, uh, first officer, very, kind of, kind of quiet, but very much in the sciences. And, um, I actually, I pro- I mean, I should let, uh, Mike Benner speak more on his character, but these characters are very much their own. They're not, they're not based off any of the original series characters. So, I think that, and we've, through, through our four film efforts, I think we've done quite a bit to, um, distinguish these people as being separate and their own.
0: Now when you now you, you mentioned that you've done about uh, your your four film efforts, what went into the planning stages? Who all was involved? Uh, maybe the core group of people is kind of involved uh, with like writing it and scripting it. And I know you're the executive producer of it, but um but you've obviously had to do many other things being a fan film, right?
2: Right. I mean, it is. It is very much a collaborative effort. Um, we run it. Although I'm executive producer, we do have we have monthly producer meetings. We get together. We talk. We're all locally, so we get together for either lunch or after work or on the weekends and stuff. In addition to the regular meetings that we have, but when we so there's a lot of discussion, a lot of valued input from all the members. Um, I did put together a roadmap of certain episode ideas, and they were just synopsis of, like, certain episodes. And basically we've made, I think, all of them except one, which is the Potemkin Pass-Through, which will be our Mirror Mirror Mirror-like episode. The, um... And I think that there's one called Feminine Charms we haven't made. But basically I I wrote, uh, I put together a roadmap of episodes and a quick synopsis. And, um... Most of the episodes have been written by other members um, of our group. Mark Hildebrand wrote For One of a Nail. Um, I started to work on the script for The Captaincy, and then Paul Sieber pretty much wrote the the script for that. I wrote A Rock in a Hard Place, and Just Passing Through was written by Holly um, Bednar. So um, some of the ideas are there. or I, I may have came up with some of the general ideas, but it's been someone else who's written... The bulk of our episodes, so but it's very much a, a collaborative effort. Uh, we would read a lot of, them. we'll sit around and read some of the scripts, and we discuss. We <laughs> story. so a lot of ideas are in terms of the scripts are discussed internally. Yeah.
1: Can you uh, tell us? Uh, uh, you, you, tell, can you tell us a little bit about each fan film you made so far?
0: maybe like a little bit of <laughs> you, you mentioned, kind of a synopsis that you guys had worked on. Maybe just like a, an idea of what each one's about.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, sure. We've made four film efforts. Um, The captaincy was the first one that was our pilot, and basically, it's a rescue mission to save Commodore Broughton and on a planet called Diatama Three. Klingons are involved, and it's a rescue mission. Um, um, That's the first one. Second one was for One of a Nail, where a the Solonai, a group of scholars and historians have invited the Federation to finally come back and speak with them. Um, during transport, a malfunction happens, and they are hurled back to America's past and meet with General Washington and um, have to get back and it and Smithfield work to bring the, the crew back. Um, and there's a little bit of some, of course, with time travel, there's always a the premise of Either destined to go back, or you've gone back and you have to—you screwed up the timeline, and have to get it fixed. So that's our first time travel episode. The third one is called "A Rock in a Hard Place." No, I'm sorry. Third one is technically would it be would be um, just passing through, and that's the love, the comedic romance tale of how Tackett and Smithfield first met and how their romantic um, relationship started. And then the last one is a rock in a hard place, which um, which was Captain Carter taking the shuttlecraft out with Dr. Bishop, um, a renowned scientist, to investigate a planet for dilithium um, mining. And the Klingons are there. There's some excitement, fighting going on. And um, but it does get, that episode gives a nice indication of Carter as a fighter and as well as a lover. Um, so that's it um, our next episode we're looking at is called Dan the Torpedoes and Mark Hildebrand is working on that script which we plan to film um, in February of next year right now we're focusing on getting our our sets completed we have a lot of our sets done now but we are finishing up the uh, bridge we have the control center with the helmet navigation and the captain's chair Now we're building the full bridge. So between now, which is, I guess you could say June, to the end of the year we're going to be working on finishing that so that we can go into next year filming. So the one of the goals from this project that I had was, because we are locally, it seemed that we should be able to produce two quality episodes per year, two film records per year. That was always the goal. And I felt that we could do it. And then once I started getting involved in the time commitment and, you know, a lot of people think of this idea, and I don't think they really can conceive the amount of time and effort that's in one of these film efforts. And you know, a lesson learned was, you know, not to place so much emphasis on quantity as much as quality. So, kind of trailed back. I still believe, and we're still, we've always, since the project has started, we've always achieved that, and we will this year with the two um, animated episodes. Of Starship Farragut, the animated episodes. So having episodes one and two released this year will still keep in line with that that objective. Uh, while we focus on the finalization of set construction. So, um, but we do plan to go in full swing. We will start pre production work on the um, damn torpedoes here soon um, in the early fall, September October timeframe. We'll we'll kick in the pre production and begin filming early next year.
0: Oh, very cool. Now, you said that you are building sets. So the sets that you had in the first two films, uh, or the first, I guess, three films, uh, where did you pull those from?
2: Well, we had some of the sets already. We had the captain's quarters. We had a ship corridor. um, We built for Rock and Hard Place uh, a full-scale interior shuttlecraft. Um, So we had some sets. Um, We did... Uh, through a partnership arrangement with Star Trek: New Voyages Phase Two, we did. Um, um, as part of that partnership arrangement, we did use their sets, and so the the bridge, uh, the bridge, sickbay, and transporter room sets we used. Oh, very very cool!
1: What what sets do you have built now? I mean, you said you have the bridge almost done. Um. What, what what's still to Well, right
2: now we have the close-up turbo lift set in the original series. They had a close-up set for the turbo lift, and then they had the turbo lift set that is connected to the bridge. So we have the the close-up interior. Um, the, I'm sorry. We have the the close-up interior um, <laughs> turbo lift set. We have the captain's quarters. We have the transporter room built. The chamber is still being. Um, worked of the transporter room but we still we have that set built we have a um, shuttlecraft and and as I mentioned the captain's quarters and or the captain's chair and the helmet navigation console so that's all what we have built today
0: oh very very nice now you, you uh,
1: your film studio you moved down to Georgia I think you were originally based in D.C. Uh, uh, what motivated you guys to uh, move your operations in Georgia
2: Well, (laughs) I get this question asked so much. Um, For years, we were researching this D.C. area to find a soundstage, warehouse, some abandoned building that was big enough to put permanent sets as well as uh, within our budgetary constraints. As a nonprofit organization, we have limited funds. And so having a, you know, something, and especially in this area, it was just not... We just not we were not able to find a building that would work with our budget, so we started to look outside the DC area, and we looked at places in Cincinnati, Ohio, as well as in West Virginia. And um, Holly Benner, one of our producers, uh, contacted her friend who was a realtor in Georgia um, named Kimberly Watson. She identified Bill Gross of WH Gross Construction Company, and he had a building that worked with our with our space limitations as well as our budgetary needs, and we were really, he was able to work with us. So it really worked out well. And so a side benefit of that is the fact that Holly is now able to see her best friend, who she was reconnected through Farragut. Um, I have two family members, um, two brothers that have their families in, in Jacksonville, which is only 35 miles away. So... And the USS Farragut destroyer DDG 99 is homeported in Jacksonville, Florida. Nice. So I mean, you have—it seemed like a very good omen how things worked out. So it's just been a very good blessing on all fronts to be to have our permanent sets in Georgia. I mean, and the weather down there is so great. I mean, it just—you know—it's like going down to Florida. So when you go down there for filming, it's like taking a nice break. I mean, you got the ocean you know, relative distance. I mean, it's just been a great blessing to be down there.
1: Now, a month ago you had an open house there for, you know, people who want to check it out. I mean, I wish I could have seen it, uh, uh, being the fanboy myself. Um, um, It it sounded like that was received very positively uh, from the community.
2: Oh, absolutely. We had over 400 people within, I guess, from the hours of 10 and 4 that we had the open house. Just a constant steady flow of people coming in um, to see our sets. It was a great PR event to to give back to our new neighbors in St. Mary's who have been great. I think St. Mary's is the best kept secret on the East coast. Mm -hmm. Um, not a lot of people, I mean, people are learning about St. Mary's, but it really is a great place to go and visit. Um, so it was a great event to give back to the community to, to let these people know what the star Trek starship Farragut stuff is all about. Um, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fans in that whole Georgia, you know, Florida area now that is now being infused as part of our project. We now have some new volunteers that are involved. So it's, it's helped us actually grow as an organization.
1: Good deal. Uh, that's, that's, that's pretty awesome then. Um, this may take a, a broad question, but uh, what does it take to make a Star Trek fan film? Uh, maybe, maybe calling it a fan film doesn't do it justice. Uh, a better word for being uh, an independent Star Trek film.
2: I agree. I, I kind of hate the word fan film. I mean, it is, at the end of the day, it is a... a but in fan film, the, the word fan kind of implies several things. It implies amateur, it kind of implies the geek factor, it implies some negativity about the work. But I think that, as, as you kind of are on the same page, it's a film independent film effort that is outside. We don't have any outside of Paramount, outside of the the industry, outside of Hollywood. It's a film effort that is... It, you get all your funds, you're either putting up the money yourself or you're getting it through the donations of others that are supporting you. Mm-hmm. And you're able to make, you're trying to make a, a, um, a serious representation of star Trek. And it's not an easy task.
1: You had to, you know, write the script, get the camera equipment. Um, you, I mean, you, you were the uh, one who spearheaded this project. Um,
0: um, did, are you? Uh, I guess a lot of it is. Do you, so you just mentioned you raised the funds. How much? Uh, how much comes from fans? How much do you front? You don't have to give details on this, as far as it goes. But did you have to, when you first started? Was a lot of that coming out of your own pocket?
2: Oh yes. I, I mean, I just know.
0: I just, I just know. Initially,
2: and the idea. It's amazing now because of how much far the organization has grown and how many people are now key stakeholders and how much. You know their direct involvement. How much of their time now? It's silly consuming. But initially, I I had the, the when I had this idea, and I just thought initially I'm going to grab my best friends, um, and I'm going to grab you know my family, and I'm going to you know just grab everyone. I was going to make this happen. I was determined. I right, think that that right. is the one overriding that you have an idea you're passionate about, and you're so committed that nothing will stand in your way to make it happen. So with that, I was. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to, you know, grab. And I had to, I had to take out a lot of money, personal money out of savings to buy even a camera equipment because I didn't know anything about camera equipment. And talking with camera operators, I didn't have much success in trying to get people committed, even offering to pay them. I wasn't, I didn't have any good feeling, a good sense that they would show up on day one of filming. So I had to, you know, put out money even for all the expensive Audio and video equipment, um, but initially, when I you know putting all that money up front and then trying to get people to be as serious about it as I was initially was, was a challenge. Um, my best friend Mike Bendar who initially kind of was okay, I'll I'll do this. It sounds great, and getting you know we can play with props and costumes. And initially, he wasn't all excited, and he didn't want to be. He was fine with being a background guy. And he offered, instead of him to be one of the lead roles, he offered his wife, Holly, who... So Mike, who was going to be the engineer, (laughs) um, using the same name, um, we changed to Michelle Smithfield. and um, Because I talked about maybe having the person, instead of Scotty, make him Smitty. um, And and Smith, I knew a guy in the Navy, whose name was Smith, and we always called him Smitty, and kind of like Scott, Scotty, and I was thinking kind of the same thing. I know it sounds hokey, but at the time... That was kind of the premise, and so Mike Smith, who was going to be Smitty, became Michelle uh, Smithfield, and we just called her Mike, and I just thought how cool that was. We just called a female, yeah you know, you know, whose name was Michelle, but she's kind of a tomboy. You know, I grew up with her in Starfleet, and it just carried over, so right. that worked out pretty well, and my other best friend, Rob Turner, who R.T., um, and we were... Uh, Robert Tackett was going to be the science officer, the older guy who would give wisdom to this younger, ambitious, you know, commanding officer here. Um, he declined. He, he worked with us on the series trailer. We did our first film as a, a, a trailer. We did our first film as a trailer just so we learn how to make a film. And he was in that. However, afterwards, he said, you know, there was so much time commitment that he didn't expect. And moving forward, he kind he just gracefully backed out. And we've used him as extras in other film efforts, but he just couldn't, you know, dedicate the amount of time that was required for a film series like this. So I had to talk to the other stakeholders, and Mike, he said, "Well, you know what? I love this so much," and he stepped up to the plate and he became Robert Tackett. Okay. So it really worked out really well in terms of how the characters started to come together, and um, the series is starting to. I mean, although. This, the, the series is more about these three characters. The series has kind of taken this interesting approach where the buddy system is, is actually more with Smithfield and Carter that a lot of the um, so far, I mean, storylines have con- kind of, and certainly in the last episode have kind of alluded to this. and there's this kind of uh, big sister little brother thing going on where they're best of friends. They were never romantically involved. They grew up in Starfleet together. They're serving together. And she kind of does her own thing with the engineering department. It's her, she reveres it as her ship. It's not Carter's ship. It's her ship. And he kind of just plays with it, you know, and and drive takes it out for a drive. But she's still the parent of it. Mm-hmm. And Tackett is is more like he's kind of more there to make sure the ship while they're away. And some of the other storylines that we've been working have show kind of Tackett um, more as the um, the fathers of the ship, well, Carter and Smithfield are away. Um, are away. So we're showing a little bit more of some interesting dynamics. We've gotten a lot of feedback from fans that want to see more of the the Carter and Smithfield dynamic being explored. Right. I, I call it the buddy approach, um, and I, I think that fans they seem to be very much receptive to it. And they've asked us to see more of that. So. Um, And there's another storyline that's being worked that really has those two... I mean, Tackett is very much involved. Like I said, the the storylines evolve around those three pivotal characters. But there's going to be a lot more of the... I guess you could say in in terms of you saw more action between Kirk and Spock than you did um, Kirk and McCoy. Not to say that there wasn't any. There was just more of uh, those two. Right.
0: Now, you mentioned that... um... That, uh, you know, after your first film, people began to come on board with this. What was the reception in general, the general public uh, that was actually watching your films? How are they responding? I mean, as as you build up these four films, imagine each one is, you know, taken in a notch higher. Uh, The reception, has it been overall good?
2: The the reception has been overwhelmingly good. Um, Here locally, I mean, we've expanded, I mean... We've gotten a lot of um, attention in the media, um, as well. I mean, and then especially with our new folks down in Georgia. I mean, it's been very much um, overwhelming. People want classic Trek, and um, those that, and then those that just like what we've been doing. They've gravitated towards the love of being involved in a camaraderie project such as this. Um, but I think people want classic Trek, and that's what we're doing. We're pro- one thing about our series. Um, that differentiates us. I mean, I think some of the film series that are out there now, as you pointed out, there's some that are doing the next-gen basis, Intrepid, and it's kind of in that timeline, and it's during their thing. Phase 2 is doing the transition from, you know, from where the third season left off to the motion picture. We're doing classic Trek now. You can see certain things that are different in terms of, like I said, this captain, he wears a beard and facial hair. Didn't see a lot of that during the, the 60s that's different. We wore field jackets and we had we introduced a phaser rifle. So we're doing some things and our C, CGI special effects courtesy of Neo FX um, although it looks like it did. It's kind of updated. So like I said, our, our tagline is classic Trek now. The I mean, there's, there's not, there will never be any kind of transitional phase. Um, one thing great about this whole project is that you know, with Star Trek being the way it is, I mean, there's no real limits. But if we ever do decide to do anything movie era, it would Im- immediately jump from Turnabout Intruder to the Wrath of Khan. We'll jump into those costumes. And what's great is that we can show these as we age, as we get older, and we decide we don't want to do, you know, TOS, we can immediately jump right directly in the Wrath of Khan era with, you know, and show these characters, maybe Smithfield and Tackett, got married and they retired from Starfleet. Maybe they're working on a planet on a on a project together where Smithfield is able to use her engineering and mechanical expertise and Tackett is able to use his scientific knowledge and expertise and the two of them collaborate together on a project that they love, you know, during the retirement. Maybe Captain Carter is now a fleet captain, maybe he's an ambassador and he's doing something different. I mean we could show I mean there's other storylines that we can explore. Um so that's the one thing great about this project, but it'll always be, in my mind, classic Trek now.
1: Right. And you're starting from, I assume, Farragut's five. You know, is, is starting a new five-year mission. So, you well, still... I think
2: we, no, we we started our series um, during the third season of Classic Trek. That's when things started. So our costumes are, um, I think, in the captaincy we had a mixture of the third season as well as some of the lore. Um, I think in moving, we've, we've as we've gotten more episodes, more of them. We've just done a whole. I think on the second one, we had it, pretty much everyone was in. Certainly, all the principal characters and most of the background people were in the third season tunics. We might have had a few people in velour and background people, but now, pretty much we're in the third season, of of classic Trek.
1: What I was going to say was, I mean, for so you know, yeah, you, the you, timeline you're about where the third season is in, in classic Trek, but
2: with, the, with, the, with the Farragut. I, think I, I thing, looked at the spectra of the gun and I think that's where I took the number and that's where the captaincy starts, okay. if I remember correctly.
1: But is Farragut, I mean, for your story though, Farragut is just starting, it's, it or starting a new five-year mission. Is that, would that be correct?
2: Yeah, you could say that. I mean, the, the mission, I mean, I mean, basically just like the Navy has all these ships. I mean, there's always a commanding officer. Right? I think the mission of, of Star Trek, although they had a five-year mission, I think the premise of, of you know, Gene had that in the um, the monologue, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I basically, the, the, the mission of Star Trek is to explore planets, um, you know, you're patrolling your sector space, you're, you're, I mean, a lot of those things about the, the core mission overall, um, it, it wouldn't change. It wouldn't change after any certain period of years. You might be trim, you might transfer to a different ship or new assignment. And I think I think tying in the Navy experience of you know every so years, so many number of years, you would transfer to a different command. I mean, people retire, they move, they they go on, they they're assigned to different ships. Same premise here. Captain Alvarez was in some sort of accident where he lost his legs or was injured. Um, he has no use of his legs. And then Captain Carter is now assigned the Farragut. So it's not, and we deliberately left out any kind of monologue. One, it would have been hokey and kind of parody. Everyone else has done that. It's, it's not needed. Mm-hmm. I mean, people understand right. what, you know, what Star Trek is about. So I think that one thing differentiating also about our series, unlike the original Star Trek, is Gene's concept was Wagner that trained the stars. We've kind of taken the gun smoke approach where more fights and stuff, at least to like to see. It's, it's, it's kind of don't seem that you're now as a series, I think.
1: Now, for one of a nail, um, definitely at the end of the episode, I mean, and you, you touched on this briefly with, with some of your newer projects coming, uh, definitely setting up for a mirror universe episode. Um, can you give us any information about that, or do we need to wait until uh, um, that comes out?
2: There may be, there may be, um, and it's there may be. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if you saw a Mirror Universe episode where name of the ship was Washington. Um, that was great how that worked out, and more. I know there was some reluctance by the writer to incorporate that, but I mean, with overwhelming results, everyone loves to talk about that scene at the end where the the apple. It, it's so subtle, yet everyone that's a classic trick fan knows what that's about I mean and it was um, very politically and beautifully done yeah. so you might, you might see that I mean there, like I said the Potemkin passed through the, the synopsis that I wrote for that and was, was going to be our mirror universe episode but mm-hmm. um, we'll see that's mm-hmm. all I can say we'll see stand by yeah.
0: now, now what do you personally uh, get out of making a fan film I mean, beyond the joy of putting out a, a product here, what, uh, what excites you about it?
2: There's the creative aspect. I mean, initially, there's the creative aspect of coming up with a story and making it come together. A lot of these are just ideas, not just in my head, but in other people. So there's the creative aspect of forming this whole story. You want to make it, I mean, you want to make it enjoyable, charming enough. You, I personally like them to be self contained and not serialized. What I get out of it personally. At the end of the day, you can make an episode that will stand on its own, that will be indicative of the quality of classic Trek. Right. For example, for one of a nail, is so beautifully done, and Mark Hildebrand owes a lot of credit to that success of that episode. Um,
1: and it won a reward. You
2: can take so many things. I mean, if you took out the Farragut characters, you could you could replace them with characters from um, the Enterprise, and that story would still still do well Absolutely. um it, it, it it's it's so well done in terms of being a true classic trick episode at the end of the day when you make something of quality and um it's enjoyable and there's a believability aspect and you can watch it and so many things come together and um, there's so many aspects to comment on that right. question right i'm sure um, that's a loaded
0: question you could probably talk uh, we could do an entire episode just on that i'm sure
2: and I think also that, the fact, too, with the Internet, I mean, once it's out there and people have it, people have it in their homes, they, I mean, we've given out so many DVDs. I mean, even in the last few months, we've done a lot of promotional efforts, um, help, support, uh, help promote the new film, and we've attended to functions, and we did the open house event, and we've given out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of DVDs. Starship Farragut now exists, as something tangible that people will have, and we're already having new fans, kids, and other people that are in the Starship Farragut. They're following us, and they're, they're fans just like Star Trek. So now you have this new fan base, and people love and appreciate us. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost getting to the point where you know, people appreciate us almost as much as they appreciate the original series, if you follow me. I mean, it, right, it's something right. that has evolved into something much more than I think any of us certainly expected, um, from the initial ideas of you know grabbing fans and friend, fans, I mean friends and family to make something, you know, classic Trek, and and now it's just materializing to something. Right. Just you know.
0: Uh, with that being said, what do you think the future of independent fan films are? I mean, how does that relate to the uh, big picture? How you know,
2: you- that's that's a very good question because the internet has provided such a, a revolution with computer technology and the internet. It's such a, a film revolution at this point, where, like I said, people with a, a low-end camera and good video editing software um, can make films, and of anything, any sort, whether it be, you know,
0: alien,
2: Batman, Star Wars, whatever, and they can put it out. And as people get much more sophisticated, I mean, it's a whole internet. It's a whole film revolution right now, and. The studios don't know, in my opinion, don't know what to make of these independent film efforts. They, you know, there's, they I don't think they know what to do. I mean, it, I believe it is kind of copyright infringement, but it's done on the basis of the love of the product. So you have people that support you. You really can't shut them down because it's not good PR. Um, you don't want to alienate your fan base. So it's like, what do you do? They're not making money, so you kind of you look the other way. But someday, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I don't know how it's going to... What the? I think you'll see more of them. You're not going to see less of them. And so, you know, the courts, in terms of, if anything, um, you know, there's been ideas that people have talked about maybe this would be franchised, just like a licensed pocketbook novel would be. But um, I don't, in my opinion, I really don't see that happening. Um, People that I spoke with, I just... You know, I, I don't see that happening. But you know, it's it's going to be interesting how it plays out. I don't think it's going to go away, and I don't think, um, I think as long as people are honest and they're not making money off of it, and people aren't frauded and and such, and people are, you know, you're not bashing the studios and such, like, you know, maybe they'll just keep going the way they are now. But um, I haven't seen anything definitively, and it doesn't look like anything will be anytime soon.
0: It does put we'll the, it does put the uh it does put the studios in a bind though. I mean, you guys are making films and people are, you know, gravitating to them and uh you know, and even though even though you're not making money, it's it's, you know, if they're going to go online and watch a film, that's taking away time that they potentially could be in either investing financially or time-wise into the original or the extended universe of of Star Trek. I mean, in
2: terms of their time investment looking up something, I don't I don't know how much of that time is, you know, deferring away from I guess a paid venture on their end, but, well I mean, there's nothing to stop the studios from taking the concept of what, what we, within Farragut Films have done as well as others, you know, redo it. I mean, the people still love Star Trek, and they've rebooted this, and I think they rebooted it successfully. Those that like classic Trek, and that's that's pretty much our core audience. Yeah. Um, think- those that love, I mean. You have I mean we're we're not trying to do any of the other spin offs I mean it's it's classic trek so since um, quantifying that that particular audience um, I think it's a large one but in the grand scheme maybe not so much as the mainstream audience of just i don't know
1: i, I think also the original you know like F- starship Farragut phase two maybe have been some of the inspiration by from the from the studio execs to do a original series uh, film. And I hope you don't mind me asking this, but uh, I assume you've seen the new Star Trek movie. Uh, what did you think of it, if you saw it?
2: Oh, I, I've seen it three times. Um, <laughs> I guess that tells us something. I, I loved it. I thought for a mainstream I mean, I'm still a classic purist Trek. To me, I went in very positive thinking, even when I heard that you know a year or two ago that they were going to make this. They were going to make a movie and such. I, I looked at it, and when I found out it was about classic Trek, I was I was kind of, when I first heard about it, I was a little bit ambivalent, because I thought, well, God, you know, where are they going to do it? You know, they going to change canon and, you know, everything else. But then I thought to myself, well, it can't change what already exists. Classic Trek, um, it, it is what it is. I mean, I, no one's going to come into my home and, you know, raid my... DVD library and take all the you know, episodes of, right. of Trek. They exist. They're out there. It's known. They can't change my... You know, they can't change it. Now, well, they can't take it away from me. I guess that, that's right. a better way of putting it. And I thought what they did was very respectful in the sense that they created a... Although they rebuilt it in a such... They made a point to say, well, it's an alternate timeline. So, and that, I think that did, uh, that did a lot of things. One, it, it gave uh, appreciation and respect to the fans. And two, it, it made it very easy for them to create new stories. One of the things I'd read up on one of the news magazine articles about Star Trek and, and in conjunction with the new film was Ron Moore said it, that when they were writing all this, it got so point with all the spin-offs with Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and such, and I guess Enterprise as well, that they were actually limited. They were boxed in uh, because ideas that they would come up would actually, you know, would would have was already done, or it was you couldn't do it because it goes against canon, and it just. So I said, why? You know, so for them to come up with this idea, and they threw canon out the window, it opened all these avenues of story ideas. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I watched it. I've I seen the film I mentioned three times, and I'm sure I'll probably see it at least one more before. it it leaves theaters theater. So I thought it was a good film. I thought for the just entertainment value, a lot of action, I, it was great. I mean, a lot of comedy. Um, I thought it was well done. I thought that they did the best. Let's say, uh, I, I thought that Paramount and the J.J. Abrams team did the best that they could do um, with a very challenging franchise because you're looking at something over 40-plus years, many TV spinoffs and movies, and they took something um, as beloved as Trek, and they were able to um, I thought they did a great job, yeah, so i I, I liked
1: it. yeah we, we we enjoyed the film too. i I was very satisfied with it. Um, I know there's a vocal a, a small but vocal group of haters out there, but um, um, no i I really liked it. I, I'm, I'm sure I I'm see it again before it leaves the theater.
0: I think the most important thing is that I left entertained, you know, entertained by, you know, original Star Trek again, in some ways, you know.
2: Yeah, and, and what's good about it, I think the, the fact that they got younger actors and they they, they they did change the timeline. Kirk was, when he assumed command, he was 34. Um, he's now 25, or he's in his mid-late, mid-20s, I guess, 25, 26, whatever. So now that these characters are younger, they can do a series you know, series of films. And, like I said, canon is thrown out the window. They have new stories they can do. And I think for a much broader audience, the way that they did it, it's going to pull in a lot more newer fans. Um, it's it's even this weekend. It still did very well. And it's third weekend third weekend out from the premiere um, from when it first came out, you know, May 8th weekend. So, um it's still, still doing way. well. And people, I mean, I know the Paramount folks are already, you know, talking, you know, script two and, and these these people. Like you said, you left to entertain. Very good film. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I
1: yeah. believe that's all. Yeah, John, I, we're, I guess we'll wrap this up. Uh, thank you so much for uh, uh, spending some time with us, letting us interview you. And, uh, um, yeah, we really I'll
0: appreciate
2: hope. it. Uh-huh. Sure. I, I, would, I would encourage you to seek out other people within our project. Uh, we have other dedicated people within Farragut Films that could speak to um, a variety of different issues. Mike Bednar, in addition to being producer, actor, he's also a, a resident prop maker. Um, you have Mark Hildebrand, who's also actor, producer, and writer, and director. He could talk to you some of those aspects. We have Holly Bednar, who gets a lot of our talented people, and you have... Um, you have Michael Strzok of NeoFX who does all of our CGI and special effects. He also, a lot of the post production efforts, he would be, these are very good people that I could tell you about other variety of, um, of our project. I'm glad you, you asked me to speak and I encourage you to speak to others within our organization. Oh, we, It's not long. just, it's just, this is not just, it's, although I'm an executive producer, these are, it's not the, um, John Broughton show. These, this is good Films and we're a group of, very dedicated folk that makes um, classic Trek now. So very, very cool. Hopefully free to talk to them too.
0: Can we? Uh, can we find their email addresses or anything on the site?
2: Oh yeah, all their addresses, all their contact information. You can go to Farragut Films, okay. and you can find all their and on the manage or the contact us page. It has it much more clear, I think, than all right. um, or the Starship Farragut website. But yeah, we're not. Our information is readily available, so okay. I encourage you to seek them out.
0: Now uh, it does bring up a good point. We haven't told people that are listening to the show where to find your uh, where to find your films. How can they go about finding the films? We've been talking about. They can go to for...
2: star. Sure, they can go to starshipfergat dot com, and um, they can see us. And I should point out that you made me think about our films. There is also the Farragut, um I think it's Animated dot com, which is the animated version of our live action series. So. We're the, only fan, we're the only film effort of Star Trek to have both a live action as well as the animated version. So mm-hmm. check that out. Both Power Source, I think, is the first one, and that's going to be out, um, I think, sometime in June, several weeks from now. And then we have the other one that, from what I'm... Before the end of the year, the um, other one that needs the money would be out. But Michael Strzok is from the OFX is spearheading that effort and I, you might want to really consider speaking with him because I'm sure he would have a lot to tell you about that whole project um, you know going from live action to animated you know what's involved in the process um, you know instead of filming you or you know you're now sitting in front of a microphone and speaking so it's a little bit different but yeah, um, you can do a lot more creatively as well so. uh, very
1: cool. Will you be at uh, short leave uh, this year?
2: Yes, yeah, Starship ship is planning to be at Shore Leave. Okay, great. But we're going to, we're going to be at the Wrath of Khan convention this weekend. Um it's a film festival as well as a convention sci fi convention um, down at Panama City Beach. Or is it Panama Beach City? yeah, Panama um, Something like that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. right. Panama City, Florida. Um Great. Awesome.
0: Well, we're going to be at Shore Leave, so we'll make a point to introduce ourselves and meet you there.
2: Oh, great! So and you can you can definitely um, you get some FaceTime with the the producers and actors of Starship Farragut Get there.
0: Hey, who knows? We might, maybe we'll do some uh, interviews right on the spot there. Then that would be great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. Yes, John. No, you. no problem.